0: Let it be. Uh, let me talk to you tonight a little bit about real Christianity. This is part two in our series, and tonight is all about Christ in me. Christ in me. What does it mean to have uh, authentic Christianity? Uh, there is, we talked about how there is all kinds of things that Christianity is not. Christianity is not a list of rules, and regulations while there are great rules in scripture that in a sense is not it christianity is also not emotion uh, of guilt and motivation. There is evidence of that, but it is not someone convincing me or uh, moving in uh, their, their words moving into my heart where I move by their words, or it's not uh, the emotionalism of a good worship service that would draw us to weeping and crying. While all those are good things that are a part of it, that in itself is not Christianity, nor is it in the freedom of the flesh, as most people in America have interpreted that we can come in, be saved, and do whatever we want. None of those things are Christianity. Uh, And we're going through this series tonight in part with the help of Henry Skogel from the 1600s who wrote a book called uh, uh, The Spirit of God in the Soul of Man. And it's about that same topic. And as we think about what is real Christianity, real Christianity is... It's, a, it's, in a sense, a born-again believer, a person who has new nature, uh, but they also still have a fleshly nature. On one sense, I have this fleshly nature, this carnal nature, this earthly nature that is always getting me to be selfish, that is seeking pleasure and comfort and control. It is always wanting that thing. It's wanting the best for itself. It thinks of itself first. Even in my best intentions, I can give charity to the poor, but I can do it in a way that builds me up. Isn't that horrible? That's how the flesh works. I get prideful when you give to people. That's the flesh. Even in doing good works, the flesh is prideful. It's horrible, but that's how it works. But then I have another nature on the other side, which is the born-again spiritual nature, and that nature is always selfless. It is not selfish, it's selfless. It's always seeking the bettering of someone else. It is, is always seeking the holiness of God. It's always seeking humility, and it is always seeking to glorify and please not myself, but please God. So every born-again person, every spiritual person has these two things they're always struggling with, right? And so one is always against the other, Paul says. And some might seek to try to control this with some religion. They might think, well, I have this issue. I don't ever, like Paul said, I don't do what I want to do. There's things I want to do that I don't do and things I, I, I don't do that I should do. And, and he's, always, he's talking in Romans 7 about this dichotomy. And some people would try to control that with religion. They would say, "Well, let's put these rules and these barriers and these walls in your life that'll keep you from going to the bars. It'll keep you from watching bad movies. It'll keep you from cussing. that will keep you from looking and thinking these ways." And and that will work for a short while until the flesh gets tired of it and he pushes all those buttons and all those bears, Or somebody and somebody else comes and pushes all your buttons, and then that little tiger on the inside lashes out and grabs hold of somebody. Right? It, it's 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 fine for a while, but then it doesn't work. In Skogel, his, he defines it this way. He says the divine life that we're talking about tonight, he says it's a life which is hid in Christ. It's a life that is actually in Christ, and Christ is in him. And so in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, if you're there, somebody say amen. Okay, Paul's asking this Paul's church in Galatia is asking this very question. They're saying, Paul, you say the Holy Spirit comes this way and that we please God, but somebody else says we gotta have all these rules, we've got to have all these religion things. And Paul's like, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it because you obeyed the law? Or is it because you received Christ through, the, through faith and because of the grace of God? You've received the Holy Spirit because you simply repented of your sins and believed on Christ. And that's proof that God is pleased with you. And it's proof that God is living inside of you. Not because of all the religious works you've done, but because of grace, faith, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul prays for them in Galatians four nineteen that they would understand this concept that a born-again believer is a person who has the Holy Spirit actually living inside of them. Now, g- just, just for a second, that is a concept that we might think is kind of casual today, but for a first-century Jew, it is like out of this world, unheard of, that only guys like Moses and Elijah and these crazy awesome dudes, right, would have the Spirit of God. And and it wasn't even living inside of them. It would come upon them in a moment and it would leave. And the Spirit of God would come and it would go and it would come and go and anoint them for specific tasks. But Paul's saying, guys, the Holy Spirit, the gift of God is now not just on the outside. Jesus said he's not just going to be with you, but he's going to be in you. It's a new day in salvation history, a brand new day, where God comes to live on the inside of sinners like you and me. That's crazy, right? Crazy. You now become, Paul says, the temple, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. He doesn't dwell in walls or in tabernacles and earthly buildings, but he dwells in you and me. So Paul says this, Galatians 4.19, My children, whom I am again in labor, that word for there is that earnest desire, he says, until Christ is formed in you. He wants to see, and that's what our prayer tonight is, is Christ being formed in us. Is, and Paul saying, with, with earnest desire and prayer, I am asking God, just let Jesus be on the inside of them. And traditions will only get you so far. And religious rules are only going to get you so far. But it's until we totally surrender and say, God, I cannot be under religious laws and rules and also be under grace that comes with the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't think I can do anything on my own Paul was saying, you can't be good enough on your own. You can't think right on your own. You can't be a good Christian on your own. There's nothing you can do good on your own that's going to please God. You have to completely, utterly give up all works of religion and ability to think you can do anything to please God and come to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you have to now do this through me. Are you with me tonight? This is Christianity. Everyone uh, can think, well, if I can just believe this doctrine, and if I can stop doing these behaviors and I can start doing these behaviors, then God will like me and be happy with me and maybe I won't go to hell. That's totally, utterly false. God doesn't care whether you do those or not. Those are good things and bad things, right? But, but what He wants to see is a person who says, I am utterly desperate for Jesus Christ to save me and I am utterly desperate For the Holy Spirit to live through me. Amen. That's what it is. Okay. So he's saying, guys, you got to have Christ formed in you and you got to start, stop trusting in your own ability and trust in his ability. And even in in Romans, Paul would tell his his church he hadn't met yet. He says, guys, you can't please God if you're not in the spirit. And and the only way you're going to please God is if you're in the spirit And if you're in the Spirit, Christ is in you. And he's saying, you know, your bodies may not act right. Your bodies may not want to please God. But you're going to please God because the Holy Spirit inside of you is living for righteousness. He's living for righteousness. But, you know, I could talk to you all night long about what it feels like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and never make any headway, right? Because it's kind of hard to tell somebody about an emotional or spiritual experience. Because... If you're not spiritual, you won't understand spiritual things. And the best way, perhaps, to do that is what we're going to do tonight is look at the outward changes in a person. And Jesus said a good tree is known by its fruit, right? And what better fruit than the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the character of Christ. And I'm going to give you seven things. Uh, Really, Scoville is going to give you seven things I think are just phenomenal. I didn't have anything to add to it, so we're just going to go with it. But seven traits... About the character of Christ, that if we are born again, this character is trying through the Holy Spirit to come out of us, and our job is to allow that, okay? Our job is to get out of the way, put aside the, the flesh, and say, Holy Spirit, act, let me act like Jesus, okay? You ready? Somebody say amen. 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 So here are seven quick things that we would say is the character and fruit of Jesus that best illustrates that the Holy Spirit is living in a person. Okay, number one is this, one through seven. Number one is this, the love of God. Number one is obviously the love of God. Jesus was in love with the Father more than anybody ever, right? Every time he's just exalting the Father, he's in love with the Father. He comes and gives up his position in heaven for the sake of the will of the Father. I mean, he is just in love with him, and he he talks about him all the time, right? He's exalting him. You could say that his life was demonstrated in constant burning affection, that everything he did lived to glorify God. Now, that alone could we could preach on for years, right? But how do I, how do you, if I looked at your life, would I say, man, so-and-so, man, their life is just like a burning flame for God. They are just all up about Jesus. They are infatuated with Jesus. They are just all about exalting God because the Holy Spirit, that's who he does. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit is there to glorify Christ, and Christ is there to glorify God, and God glorifies the Son, and He sends the Holy Spirit. There are all all those evidences of God in Scripture, all about glorifying one another. And it's teaching you and I. We have to glorify God with everything that we do. Everything that we are, that I live, I live and breathe to worship God. Isn't that what we're created for? So so a born-again person, a new living, a new a person has new life, their number one thing is, I'm just all about Jesus. Amen? That, that should be our thing, being all about Jesus. Number two is diligence to do God's will. Uh, Christ, from day one, is all about His Father's business. Even at 12 years old, He said, that's what He's saying. i got to be about my Father's business. His plan was even revealed yet to the world. But I'm going to be about my Father's business. Everywhere He goes, disciples say, Hey, Jesus, stay at this house a little bit longer. He says, No, no, no. I have to go to other towns too for this purpose I've came. I'm here to do the will of my Father. That everything He did was about doing His Dad's perfect will. That I gave the, my throne in heaven to do my Dad's perfect will, right? Think about the times that Jesus could have taken a break. One time in Samaria, he's, he's taken a shortcut through Samaria, Samaria which we know he probably wasn't. But he was fasting, he was weak, and he comes to a well, he sends his disciples off. They say, well, Jesus, man, we love you. We're going to get some Taco Bell or some McDonald's or something, and, and we're going to bring it back to you. And they go off for a while, and he's sitting there, and he's supposed to. Be, he's weak, he's weary, he's tired, he's on his day off. And what happens? He does ministry with a Samaritan woman there at the well. He tells her things about her life she never knew. She gets saved, and on his day off, Jesus gets a whole village saved because he's always about doing his father's business. It wasn't even if he's weak, he's always about it. Even, even when he's uh, trying to get from one town to another, people are touching him, wanting him to do things, and he just compassionately stops because he knows God so loves the world he sent him. He's always about His Father. So I could, could I say that my life is completely about God's will? I know we have jobs. I know we go on vacations. I know we buy things. I know our kids have dance and sports and pageants and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, could I say the number one thing in my life is doing the will of God? That might be through your job, that might be through your kids, that might be through your your, uh, hobbies and entertainment. You can do the will of God through the avenues that He's placed you in, but at the end of the day, is it all for flesh, my pleasure, my comfort, my control, building me up, or do I do my job? as a person who's doing the will of God. Are you understanding me tonight? You, you can do those things, you can have those things, but it should all be with the mindset, Holy Spirit, do these do my job through me. Holy Spirit, raise my kids through me. Holy Spirit, enjoy life through me. That, that I, I need to do these things for the will of God. And that will of God is what? That none would perish. That all would have everlasting life. That His church would be established. And so... A born-again believer is going to be all about building up the church. It's all going, he's going to—he or she's going to be all about saving us souls. He's going to be all about for missions, and because they're diligent to do God's will. And it's not the person; it's not Heath Harris doing it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. If Heath Harris puts money in the offering plate by the flesh, because I think I'm supposed to, I don't get any credit for that. And I believe that. I believe that that's just a religious work. But if by the Holy Spirit I say, God, I'm intentionally doing this because the Holy Spirit is prompting me to support this church or this mission or whatever, and I'm doing this because the Holy Spirit's moving me to, then I believe that goes onto your account. i just be honest with you. I, I, and it, We can so easily get in that mode of doing things because we're supposed to, but it's got to be not of the flesh lest we boast. But it's got to be the work of God. Amen? So diligent in doing His work. This is going to get tougher. I'm getting on. We're going to keep going. I've been reading these tonight, and I'm like... Man, Lord, help me. So number three, he's patient and suffering. This is the favorite, right? Patient and suffering. Christ endured all types of afflictions. He uh, shed his blood, his sweat, his tears for the sake of his Father's will and for the sake of you and me. He willingly accepted it. Even when he's in the garden at his lowest point, what does he pray? Lord, not my will, but your will. Right, he, he willingly endured suffering. I, in John 12, 27, he prays, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Because he was patient in suffering. He was patient in suffering. He was willing to endure persecution and hardship and lack and poverty for the cause of his father. And will I be a person that would go without fame and fortune... Would I be a person that says, you know what, honey, we may not have all the nice things that other worldly people have because we're giving such and such percent of our finances away to the kingdom of God. Or, honey, we may not do all the things that the worldly people do because, honey, we're investing our lives in the saving of souls uh, in this world because that's all that matters. Baseball will come and go. Beauty pageants will come and go. Soccer will come and go. Football will come and go. But at the end of the life, the only thing that's going to remain is eternity with people. And, and, and if I have to get this in my mind to say, can I be a person that may not be involved in everything? And I'm not telling you not to be involved in things. Do, do those things. But it should be with the Holy Spirit mindset to say, you know what, I, I may have to w- w- endure some ridicule at work. I may have to do without some things. I may not get to post everything on Facebook I want to post. Right? That right there is a hard one. Somebody chews you out or, or, you know, somebody in your family backstabs you or whatever. I may have to be... Suck it up a little bit and endure some of it as a godly man to say, God, Jesus, the Bible says that he went on to the cross for the joy set before him, enduring our shame, and that when he was beaten and mocked and whipped and accused, he uttered not a word. And the only word he kept muttering over and over again from the very beginning of his cross, uh, from the very beginning of taking his cross to the cross was what? Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Boom, pumps him in the face. Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. Boom, beat him on the back. Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. And that's all he kept saying over and over again. He patiently endured it to accomplish his Father's will. And that's a challenge for us, amen? Number four was constant devotion. So he loved his Father. He was diligent to do his Father's will. He was patient and suffering for his Father's will. And he was constantly devoted Christ loved to converse with God in prayer. You know, Jesus would frequently, the disciples would wake up and say, oh my gosh, Jesus was raptured. Not really, but he was gone. And he would go to the mountain to pray. He would go alone off to pray. Sometimes 3 a.m. in the morning, they'd find him out there praying. He would pray for hours at a time. Some nights he would go all night long and pray. And there was times when the crowds would get so far around him and he would sense that his flesh was getting weak and his spirit that he would have to get away from people. People began to exalt him and exalt him and praise him. And they were getting ready to make him king and storm down Herod's palace and Caesar and, and start a revolt. And he would say, no, 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 this is not the time. And he would get along with his father and remind himself of his father's will and his father's order. And and to be so, this is a guy that never had to confess any sin, and yet he prayed all the time. Think about it. He never had to confess sin, but he was in constant prayer, just constantly devoted, in complete reliance, the Son of God in the flesh, full of the Holy Spirit, born by the Holy Spirit, but yet what the flesh he had, he knew that he had to keep that flesh in constant communion with God for him to do any good. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, had to pray that much to get by, how much do you think you and I need to pray? Think about it. I probably need to pray a lot more. One pastor a long time ago, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he said a, a man should pray an hour a day, except when he's busy. Then he should pray too, uh, because prayer is the source. and And, and one uh, great man of God said, "Prayer is uh, is not for the work, but prayer is the work." Right? Prayer is that that thing. Prayer changes things. So, how do I keep the fire of that devotional life going? Do I enjoy prayer that much? And let me tell you this, let me, let me stop you right now, because some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, there's a lot of work. That's the hint right there. It's not. It's not work. It's work if I'm doing it in the flesh, and if I'm basing my Christianity on the flesh, prayer will seem like I've got to get up hour early and pray. I've got to sacrifice TV and pray. I've got to pray. But a born-again person who keeps pushing the flesh at bay says, Father, good morning. How are you? I want to do your will. Lord, what are you doing today? God, I love you. I worship you. it's just conversing with God. It's a relationship that brings vitality and energy and strength and joy. It's not a got to. It's I want to, right? It's it's not a burden. It's not religion. And so your prayer life can't be by the flesh either. It's got to be by the Spirit. And so I just got to pray, Holy Spirit, help me long to commune with God. Holy Spirit, help me to to long to be in prayer. so four is constant devotion. Five is the love of men, the love to men. Christ lives in this overflow of God's love. All of his words and actions are benefiting others. Think about this. Here's this guy. He's got close friendships. He's kind. He welcomes all, so we should have friends, right? He says he ministers to the rich and the poor. He ministers to slave and free, man and woman, Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean. He even weeps over Lazarus when he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. That'll blow your mind right there. Why cry over a guy? You're about to raise him from the dead. But yet he was compassionate towards people. He was sad that he died. Amazing. He was sad to see. You know when you see somebody else cry on TV and then you feel like crying too? I think that's what it was. He was compassionate towards Mary and Martha. He loved them. He hated to see them weeping over their brother. Don't you cry when old Yeller dies or whoever, you know? And, and, and you, you, you just empathize with that person. And, and Jesus was full of empathy. Even though he knew what would happen, he had empathy. That shows his humanity. He, he even was sorry when the rich young ruler left him. He was sad for him. He rejoiced, though, at some people's faith like the centurion. And ultimately, in love, he would die for all sinners like you and me. He was a compassionate people person. And by nature, Heath Harris is not a people person. I tell you what, I'd rather be alone than with people. I hate crowds, I hate going to the mall, I hate Christmas shopping and all this. I'm me alone with a book or me alone, you know, with my own thoughts or drawing or painting or whatever in the woods. And that's like uh, heaven, but that's not heaven. Heaven's going to have a lot of people in it. And by selfish nature, I would rather be alone and, and just give me some peace. And, you know, as a parent, it's just like all I can do, just go to the bathroom, lock yourself in and take a breath. Sometimes, y'all people have young kids mate know what I'm talking about. You know, just the hands are under the door. Daddy, daddy, daddy. You know, you just, I just need a moment. Got to be myself for a second, right? But, but a selfless, loving, Holy Spirit person is going to be like, no, you all need your breaks. you all Sabbath days. We all, that's a commandment. But in heaven, it's going to be with people forever and the love of people. And I got to know, God, is there prejudice in my heart against poor people? Maybe against rich people, black people, white people, Mexican people, Chinese people. Maybe there's things in my heart that that I would just kind of be standoffish, you know. Uh, you know, if I if I was uh, in a certain place in a certain time, would I think of somebody a certain way, right? If 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 are there things that that I I just I'm not comfortable with uh, or whatever? God help me to to be loving and charity and merciful and gracious and kind and and think the best of people and see. Not who they are, but who they can be if they love Jesus. They surrender to God. See the potential in somebody, right? Amen. Six. That one's a hard one too, I guess. Six is purity. Think of it. Christ was dead to the pleasures of the flesh, and he was pure. The word holiness means set apart for a purpose, not just set apart. We can all be set apart and lock ourselves in a basement somewhere and think we're Christian, but set apart for a purpose. That's the, the complete definition. Jesus was set apart pure for a purpose. His purpose was to do His Father's will, and He doesn't seek the comforts of life. Jesus doesn't marry. He, he doesn't get a retirement plan. and In fact, He often fasts. The Bible says He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And I love what Skogel says. He says, He often sighed, groaned, and cried but you never hear that Jesus laughed. Think about it. There's not one verse about Jesus laughing. And, and I think where there's joy. and We don't have the joy of the Holy Spirit. We have all that. But he wasn't scoffing off. He wasn't entertaining. He wasn't a, 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 inter, entertained by the pleasures of this world. Things didn't really amuse him. Why? Because he knows that there is an eternal hell awaiting a lost world that's laughing their way there. And we can go to the movies and we can get so caught up with church for ourselves and we can have a good life and we can have a good retirement and we can enjoy the pleasures of life and drink our sweet tea on our porch. But Jesus was often weeping for the lost. He was, and when Jerusalem rejected him, what did he say? He said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I would love to bring you in. He wept over people who rejected him. He didn't get caught up in the latest Marvel Avengers movie. And I I love the Marvel Avengers. But you can get caught up in so many pleasures of this world that we forget we're here for one purpose, and that's to be set apart, that people might say, God is living in him or her, and I know there is a God, because I see them in them. I see him in them. So, he was a man acquainted with grief. He was there because he, he just, it didn't, it didn't wonder. I love what the, another passage Scogel said. He says, he was so swallowed up with a deep sense of the infinite perfection of God that being in the form of a man appeared as nothing at all. He was so unimpressed with this world because he had experienced heaven. Things and riches didn't appeal. Why, what would it appeal if you had the riches of heaven? All the wonders and talents and traits and awe of man and the things that man can do would seem like nothing when you see what God can do, right? All that we can build, all that we can, accomplish. oh, good job, I got my yacht, my boat, my jet ski and all this. Psh, who cares about all those things when you see who God is, when you see what God can do? And he was so caught up in the wonder of his father and the wonder of heaven that everything on earth was as priceless, it was as worthless and so what value do I place on holiness in my life that I set myself apart for the purpose of Christ? Am I so captivated by God that I willingly deny pleasures and comforts? Uh, and because I don't want those things to control me. I don't want TV to control me. I don't want eating to control me. I don't want my money to control me. I don't want sex or drugs or alcohol to control me. I don't want anything to control me that I could so be so in tune with the Spirit that the Spirit would then take control of me and say, Heath, this is what I want you to do. Go save these people. Go live for God. Go burn, burn bright for Him because He's coming back. Somebody say amen. amen. There's a hell awaiting so many people and he knew the seriousness of the hour and what he came for. And I think a church, he said before he comes back, he's looking for a church. He would, they would say, is there any faith left in the, in the last days church? Is there anyone in whom there is faith who is living it out. And lastly was humility. Humility. He was meek and lowly of heart. And though he was heaven's son, he came as a lowly carpenter who hung out with fishermen. Think of it. He was royalty, but he gave it up. He spent the majority of his time with the lower class. And even though he held the title of king of kings, he rejected even the earthly title of good, a good teacher. He didn't even take the Ph.D. they wanted to give him. He said, that's worthless. He already knew his title was King of Kings. I don't need the title of Ph.D. I don't need the title of Pastor, Preacher, Evangelist. I don't need all those titles. Those titles are mu- nothing. Those are, those are man's titles. And then, then he, he owns the riches of heaven, but yet he comes to earth and shows how little he esteems, Henry Scogel said, of the enjoyments of the world. He chose to live so poor and so low a condition that though the foxes and had holes and the birds have nests, the Lord in the heir of all things had nowhere to lay his head. He never makes use of his power to show off. He didn't give in to signs that people asked for. He didn't follow the advice of so many that they wanted him to become famous and woo the crowds. But then when love did prompted him, I've said this before, to act, when he did act out in a miracle, he would come to it humbly and he often tell them, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. He didn't want people boasting in themselves. That's amazing. He didn't want people boasting in himself. He gave all the glory to God. Anytime he did recognize what he had and who he was, he gave all of his glory to God and said, I can't do anything without my father. It's all for my father. It's for my father's business. Begin to praise the father. He never uttered a word, even though a false king mocked him, and they would hail him mockingly king of Jews. Even though he knew he was. He would never utter a word. And you know, I can't compare anything in my life to the humility of Christ. But yet I tell people I'm a Christian. And I should do that with reverence, honestly. Probably more than I do. And say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He lives in me. And when I say those things, I take it back and say... Lord, I need to I need to live this life out with reverence and say Jesus, you you really do have to live in me because Heath Harris can't accomplish not one of these 7 on his own. <laughs> I can't be humble like that or pure like that or or constantly devoted like that or or patient and suffering like that. I don't ha- I know I don't have love for people. I want to have love for God and I need Jesus to do it through me. And this bar is set so high nothing religious or man-made will help you accomplish it. You must get on your face and say, Lord, I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit to live in me. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Amen? We're desperate for the Holy Spirit to live in us. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now the life I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me.